Welcome back, everybody, to Take Care of Business podcast. This is your host, Dan Troncheck, and I am being joined by our producer, Renee Shagnon. Renee, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi, everybody. And, uh, you know, we talked uh, a few episodes back that uh, Renee is kind of joining us in kind of this content producer role. And, and Renee is going to be playing a little bit bigger role in the podcast moving forward. Uh, Renee, uh, for those of you who uh, don't know Renee, Renee is kind of our retail uh, person in the field. So Renee gets to travel around and visit with a lot of retailers uh, around North America. And uh, so she's going to be bringing a lot of that kind of excitement uh, to the program, updating us on her travels and and adding to our segments here on Taking Care of Business. Uh, Renee, what have you been up to lately? I know I just got back about a week ago for the National Hardware Show, and I was at some events before that. And and, and like me, you've been on the road. In fact, Renee on the road, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, It feels really good. I don't know if you would agree with me, Dan, but it feels amazing to finally be getting back out, going to trade shows, um, seeing retailers in their businesses. And so um, what better way than getting our team out, including myself, to the markets? And then we came up with this initiative this year, the member services team did, um, in conjunction with the editorial team, called Renee on the Road. My name's Renee. So I'm kind of the the main person here. My brain is like... Yeah. Where are we going next? And whose businesses are we going to visit and highlight along the way? So um, I've done lots of road trips over the years, some with Independent We Stand, um, some on our own, just visiting hardware stores. And now that paint is part of our umbrella, we wanted to get to as many paint and hardware stores as we could. So this year we're doing mini road trips. So it's um, flying out to a state and then driving to different areas in that state or getting getting to as many businesses as we can and really giving that area um, a, a spotlight. And so our first one was Florida. It made sense. We uh, we were only there for three days, but we visited lots of stores in Orlando and in Tampa. And then we were able to go to the Orgel um, market after the show. So it was really great. And um, our next one is going to be uh, in May in New York. So we're, we're planning it as we go. And we're excited to get out there and visit some really cool businesses in New York City and, and just get a taste for what doing retail, doing hardware retail, paint retailer out there is like. Yeah, and and I'd let anybody know that uh, if you'd like to see if Renee can come visit your operation, make sure to drop us a line here, yes. and uh, and we'll see if we can't get you on her calendar. But one of the other ways that you'll often get to meet Renee is at the many kind of events out there in the industry. And you mentioned Renee that you were just down at the Orgle Market, mm-hmm. and then you kind of you kind of had this little whirlwind tour. You did Renee on the road, then you went down to the Orgle Market in Orlando, yeah, and then you came home, you switched your bag out and then and then where did you head after that you drew the short straw for this next one huh <laughs> yeah i know so i mean it's been it's been really busy some of the shows were virtual this year so we had kind of that combo of a little bit of both um but we're just excited to to be back out there and yeah my next trip isn't going to be till um may so i've had a little bit of breathing room minus all of I have personal travel too. So being in being in lots of weddings and bachelorette parties, it's it's been a lot, but it's fun. It's nice to get back out there. Yes, this is the season where a lot of folks are doing the whole uh, wedding uh, bachelor bachelorette party thing. Not 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 for me and my my uh, group <laughs> though. I think uh, maybe maybe I've aged out of that uh, at, at least for the next twenty years. Then it seems like people start getting remarried and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but, yes. uh, but yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, glad to have you on the program, Renee. And we'll look for regular updates on what you're up to. Uh, But on to the topic at hand, it's interesting that we were just talking about kind of coming out of this spring market season. And you mentioned that some of the markets were online. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, today, as many of you may have noticed, there was a big announcement from Do It Best about kind of their strategy for markets heading forward. And they have announced that they're going to kind of keep up with this combination of online and in-person markets. And they're going to do some switching up with their spring markets in that uh, traditionally uh, their spring and fall markets were always held in our town here of Indianapolis. And they're going to keep their fall market in Indianapolis, but it sounds like they're going to start moving the spring market around to other locations and kind of putting a little bit bigger emphasis on networking and and kind of uh, uh, product discovery and those sorts of things. 
And we actually, uh, in conjunction with this, had the opportunity to sit down with Dan Starr, president and CEO of Do It Best, where he shared with us his thoughts on uh, this kind of market strategy, on what's going on in the industry, on supply chain, on on the economy in general, and so on. So always uh, uh, an interesting conversation when we can sit down but, uh, with Dan Starr. Uh, Dan and I have talked about launching our own po- podcast called Between Two Dans. So stay, <laughs> stay tuned for updates on that. Uh, But right after we get this quick word from our sponsor, we're going to be right back into it and start our discussion with Dan Starr from Do It Best. Live Oak Bank offers financing for hardware stores nationwide for refinance, acquisitions, expansion, and commercial real estate. Live Oak will support you with customized loan products focused on your success. Our hardware store loan experts embrace a creative approach to solving problems and surpassing goals. We understand the nuances of your business model and will help you avoid costly mistakes. Let's craft a loan solution that will help you thrive. Learn more at liveoakbank.com slash hardware dash stores. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are back, as I said, with Dan Starr from Do It Best. Dan, welcome back to the program. We've had you on a couple of times, and we were trying to figure this out. And it seems like the last time we had you on, the pandemic was just kind of getting ramped up. So things have, you know, more things change, the more they kind of stay the same, I guess. But here we are. Here we are. And thank you. It's good to be on your podcast. Um, I've lived 10 years in the last two, so it does seem like a long time ago that we sat down and went through that. But it is fascinating. It gives us a chance to look back on a few things as we talk through industry issues. So yeah, it'll be good. Absolutely. I mean, I think I've heard it compared before to dog years, these pandemic years, like, you know, dogs, seven years for every year. It's kind yeah. of pandemic years. Similar. How does that work for you, Dan? 10 yeah. in the last two? Does that sound <laughs> yeah, about right? It sounds about right. I mean, uh, that's when I've given some presentations, I talk about this acceleration effect and I, I say it's been like 10 years that we've been through and it's only been two. But yeah. uh, but here we are. And, and, we and are. leading in, let's talk about that for a second. You know, we just passed kind of the two year mark uh, officially of of kind of when the pandemic really took hold here in the U.S. I remember it was about mid-March when we actually shut down um, NHPA's offices. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're right at about two years there. Um, but so much has changed, uh, you, you know, and, and we can talk about all the things that changed, but let's focus on the things that are changing in the industry. But what do you think that we've kind of, you know, you say it's been like 10 years and I don't disagree, but what have we kind of learned over the last two years about how things are changing? Yeah, I'll, I'll, and I'll hit a couple things on this, but I'm, I want to start with, uh, our, our independent retailers. Uh, sure. So members of Do Best Corp, I can speak to d- directly, but really I'm talking about independent dealers out there. Um, and I think what was demonstrated within the last two years is a tremendous amount of relevance and resilience. Mm-hmm. Two really good words to describe uh, what they were able to deliver in the last two years. It's one thing to aspire to a lot of different things. What they delivered was really remarkable. Uh, they had to act quickly. They had to act not just quickly, but inventively. Mm -hmm. They had to really bring uh, execution at retail in different ways. They were challenged in ways they never expected. I just think that they they really rose to the occasion. And as a result of that, ended up taking market share, which is really interesting. You and I talked two years ago, jokingly, about the death of independent retail. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's, it's funny because you heard that. No, is anybody saying that anymore? And I don't think that they are. I think part of that is just a knowing uh, sort of acknowledgement of how strong they performed over the course of that two-year period. It really is a remarkable – that's where I would want to start is just acknowledging tremendous amount of work. That's something that we've learned is there's a lot of fight and a lot of performance, particularly in independent business particularly in our industry. Well, you know, um, one of the things that we would always say when we're talking about the uh, strengths of independent retailers, and one of the things I'd like to point out is agility. And yeah. I think going into the pandemic, we would talk about agility, but it was it was not really, you know, as focused as we saw. And to just what, what you were just saying, 
is I can say, you know, and I don't want it to sound patronizing, but I'm very proud of what independent retailers were able to do when when just a few it was shortly after or maybe right before when we had our first uh, podcast uh, that we had done research and found out that something like 75 percent of independent retailers had already implemented some kind of curbside pickup. Yeah. And and, you know, the, the great thing is when we talked to them about it, it wasn't like. Oh, well, I, I set up e-commerce and I have this very sophisticated method. Some of them were like, here's my cell phone number. Give me a call and I'll meet you outside. But they were saying they, they were agile and they're mm-hmm. saying, how do we respond right now? Because we don't have the elevation to say, oh, we'll figure this out over the next two to three to five years. It was right now. So exactly what you're saying, I, yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly with, is they should be very proud of the way they in an agile way, responded to these shifting market demands. And I hope they kind of keep that in their modus operandi moving forward is that we got to have the same agility and and practice that. So so if I can piggyback on that with another comment about how, particularly I can speak more to how our members responded. I, I think another interesting thing that I learned was that um, you know we've we've been kind of on, on a growth path sure. for years preceding the pandemic, you know we were we were on a real strong growth path and uh, it was aided of course by by the pandemic. But what I find interesting about how our members responded to this was particularly those who had a plan. Mm-hmm. They already had a plan going into the pandemic that was growth oriented and that they were going to focus on it. As soon as the pandemic hit, they might have needed to modify. They might have needed to just kind of adapt to circumstances a little bit to lean into what they had already predetermined sure. their path was going to be. Sure. And of course, if, if growth is your is, is your path, yeah. then a lot <laughs> of what go. we've seen in the last two years aided in that. But the, but but those who were prepared, luck favors the prepared, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Those who were prepared, those who had a plan, those who were pursuing that, they adjusted with some things like you're you're talking about, the agility to apply new things like curbside delivery or other other things, you know, um, passing out their cell phone number. It's it's a simple solution, very effective one at the same right. time. But they were able to adapt to those circumstances and pull them into predetermined growth plans. I think I think the other thing that that reveals is the importance of doing those things. Right. If all you were doing was reacting to the new pressures of the day, you probably feel beat up right now. Yeah. It's been pain. Well, actually, I should I shouldn't say it that way. Everybody feels a little bit beat up. I think it was particularly hard on folks who felt like I, I'm always a step behind. Um, I'm I'm still responding. It's still kind of a knee jerk to what fires erupted today. Everybody feels a little bit of that, but I I think those who had a plan mapped out for what they were really gonna work on in the next year, in the next two years, I think they had an easier time navigating that uh, very strong pace of change that they had to deal with. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, and I think that you you also saw, you know, you mentioned the, the growth of independent market share. And and again, I would just underscore this as one of the strengths of an independent retailer where you saw some of the big box retailers really struggling to have that kind of agility because, you know, they're working on systems that, that they have to replicate 2000 plus times yeah. in 2000 plus markets, whereas the average independent can say, my solution is to hand out my cell phone number. And so let's make it happen. Right. Uh, you know, and, and within a day, you have some kind of ad hoc, uh, you know, uh, by uh, byproduct, pick it up curbside. Um, and, and and a lot of it was responding to these kind of changing customer expectations that we've talked about that a lot. But but I'm interested in your reflections because there's been so many things that have changed for our, uh, uh, you know, contingent uh, or uh, our uh retailers that, that are really coming from different needs for their customers. Yeah, and it plays right into what you were talking about. When when you've got someone who has uh, the ownership mentality running their business and it is an independent local concern and they have the decisive action and authority to make decisions on behalf of the enterprise and they can respond in the middle of the in the middle of the challenges of the day, uh, particularly where you have evolving customer demands. I, I think that it goes right back to your point of agility in the face of evolving, rapidly evolving customer demands uh, and and expectations 
Uh, so, you know, they're getting thrown back and forth. Will, will we even be permitted to stay open? Right. Is this just going to be curbside? Oh, I can open my door. Some, some places had limits on the number of people that could be on the mm-hmm. retail sales floor. I got to address that. Some had other restrictions. Uh, some had no yeah. <laughs> restrictions yeah. other than masks. You know, I, so they had to navigate all that in the face of not just customer expectations, but sort of a temporary regulatory environment that they had to grapple with as well. Did a remarkable job because of what you just said, the agility that they have. Well, you know, and we're talking about um, all of the changes. And to this point, we've mainly talked about the changes that they've felt in terms of how they operate and how they go to market and their interaction with their customers. But there were a lot of changes in the opposite direction with the with the the uh, challenges within the supply chain that kind of came along with some of these uh, uh, pandemic conditions. And so they were also having to be agile in the way they acquire, the way they stock, the way they order merchandise. And that's something that obviously you guys are really familiar with. Um, So I'd be interested to hear your take on that kind of side of the equation is how have retailers kind of changed the way they acquire, buy merchandise and so on? Because I know I've noticed a lot of different conversations I'm having with retailers about how they go about putting product on their shelves. Right, right. And that, yeah, you're right. So you've got, you've got, first of all, we start looking at the changes and the impacts on the retail sales floor. Wait a minute before you go there. Look back up the supply chain and yeah. and how boy, everybody I think can reflect on the last two years and just say, "Wow, what a roller coaster ride!" And in many ways, we're still on the ride. Right. Yeah. Um, so they're not solved just yet. There's still a whole lot of challenges on the supply chain, but they have changed the way that they buy. I I think in in a couple important ways. Um, I would say historically, a lot of the decisions that are being made by the independent would be uh, buying decisions would revolve around critical issues of price mm-hmm. and brand, maybe maybe those two in sure. the highest uh, priority. And what we've seen over the course of the last two years is that kind of went out the window. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, this strategy was all about access to consistent, reliable supply. Uh, price became less important because it just was changing so rapidly. Right. Brand became less important because the supply issues were constrained in so many different areas within within our industry. And, and so it put a premium on the retailer's ability to adopt a sourcing strategy. So they would, let's just say historically, they might ask themselves a question as they approach that issue. Let's consider for a moment, how would they answer it? Two years ago, how would they answer it today or in the midst of the pandemic? And I'll give you just a couple. What's the right inventory investment for this coming season, whatever that next season is? Yeah. What's the right inventory investment? They have to grapple with that. Right. Um, I'll give you another one. How early should I commit to this season? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and another one. Um, what would I consider an equivalent substitute for this for product X over here? I believe that all three of those questions, probably a whole lot more too, but I believe that fundamentally a whole lot of those questions are going to be answered very differently today than they would have been just a couple of years ago. Right. And those questions might have come up with a particular type of order, a particular product before, but now it's really across the operation. It's not universal, but it feels like it, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely true. That last one is, I mean, it's just a funny one because I, I think- opinions changed so dramatically. Uh, there's no substitute for this product over here. And then it became like, I, if it's close, you know, yeah. if it's right. close, I got a customer who's going to want it. So, Well, and we've even seen from the vendor community, vendors coming out with, with in-store signage and so on that says, if this isn't available, you can use this, this, or this. Right, right. You know. another, another great agile, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it did change the way that they buy. And, and I, I mean, I, you and I were talking before the podcast of, well, how long does this last? When's the music going to stop? We're already seeing traffic count, yeah, anecdotally. We're seeing yeah. like traffic counts ease and other things like that. We still see uh, sales uh, strong, but how much of that is inflation? There's a lot right. of questions around that and where this is headed. Uh, if I can just offer up a, a little bit of uh, statistics on one element of the economy that still continues to be strong, and that is on starts. We were talking right. about yeah. federal government just released information last week on uh, on housing starts and residential permits up 7.7% over prior year. Starts are up 22% over prior year. 
while completions are down 2.8% over prior year. Yeah. That's not the end all be all, but it is one data point that you look at and you go, as I'm planning uh, for the season, I see traffic counts are slowing a little bit on the DIY side of things. I'm also seeing some strength in other areas that play into how I go to market. I, I think it, yeah. they're wise to take those things into account as they plan for the future. Right. And anecdotally, we're hearing from a lot of retailers that you know bid activity and so on is strong going mm-hmm. into spring and summer. And as we all know, you know, you can't just necessarily look at um, uh, one data point, but when you get something like that, you also understand that if housing starts are up and new houses are being built, we all know the the old uh, adage that the most you spend on on home improvement is in the first year of living in a house. So, so this isn't something that that will necessarily just come to an end. That that housing starts being up, and if they may, we see that maintained are going to bode well for home improvement activity for a, a two to three year cycle. Exactly least, right. Yeah. And and I know that in the back of everybody's mind, just about everybody who's listened to this probably lived through uh, 2006, 7, 8, 9, right. 10, and, and remembers quite well what it looks like to build up to something that looks like a bubble. Right. And they're, they're I'm sure, wary uh, of over building, but I just don't think we're there yet. I, yeah, I, 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 I think, you know, I, obviously we all watch kind of these economic indicators and as if certain things start to go in a different direction, then I think we should all start, you know, wringing our hands a bit. But I don't yes. know that that time is right now. Right, yeah. right. Right now we're seeing overheating. Yeah, we're seeing an inflation. We're seeing uh, corresponding changes in interest rates. I can't remember what it was. The Fed right. has suggested that they were going to have modest adjustments to rates, five of them this year or something like that. Right. And they said two could be half percent points at two, two of those in the coming months. So, you know, what yeah. what 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 kind of impact will that have? I, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. But for right now, as we're sitting here, as we're sitting here, things yeah. point to a, a strong market moving forward, a strong spring, a strong market moving forward. Yep. I, yeah, I see that there's a lot of reason for optimism, even in the midst of uncertainty around inflation, uncertainty and difficulty around supply, uncertainty on fuel costs and transportation. Right. There's a lot of pressure on all those costs still. And every independent is going to see it. Yeah. They're going to see continue to increase costs translating into their business. They need to stay up on their price increases. They need to stay up on their pricing adjustments. They need mm-hmm. to stay up on their inventory. All those things become very critical. Absolutely. And, and, and one other area, you know, when we talk about the way things have, you know, using the word fundamentally changed, but I think it's safe to use that kind of word right now, is, it, it, again, on both sides of kind of this equation um, and, and how far retailers have come in such a short period as it relates to online interactions, online e-commerce, you know, again, I remember specifically giving <laughs> presentations, you know, shaking retailers, uh, you know, uh, figuratively, of course, by the shoulders <laughs> saying, you got to start thinking about getting a website. You got to start, you know, but now yeah. I think we've, you know, accelerated that 10 years and two years. And, and there's a completely different kind of idea about how and if and when and why they need to be involved in online commerce. So how does that relate back to do it best role uh, of helping retailers and how you help them interact, but how you interact with them as well? Yeah, there. You, you, and it's, you're right to break it down a little bit because there's our interaction with our members right. and how we conduct business uh, using using online, using electronic tools. Um, then you've got the retail side of the equation. What? How's the member then using that to sell through? On, on our side, you know, I would say that before the pandemic, we had online buying tools already. We yeah. had that in place. Um, so did we have to uh, continue to develop those, invest in those, improve those? Absolutely. But I would say that that represented modest change on our part. Not a lot of change as a result of the pandemic. What accelerated was adoption and use. Yeah. You know, by our right. members. Right. So we already had things that were pre-planning tools before markets that, that would allow them to build their entire market planning, their orders, uh, their ability to, uh, you, you know, uh, see the, the orders, the ability to track mm-hmm. them. So those, those tools improved. But what was really interesting was in a, in a virtual market world, well, now you're entirely dependent on that in order to shop the market. You can't just do it. Is no in-person. Yeah. So right. it really improved adoption, which is an interesting thing uh, as we go forward. The other thing that I would focus in is just communication. Uh, in, a, in a world where today's information is 
my goodness, coming at you faster and faster and faster and the pace of change and, and the ability to react to it, um, sometimes react to it, sometimes just understand what's going on. I, I think that we were, cha- this is an area of big change for yeah. us oh, for in sure. how we serve our members through the pandemic. And that took the form of a far more robust communications plan. So that was podcasts, virtual meetings, text alerts, mm-hmm. and, and, and not just the use of them, the proliferation, the, the, the volume yeah. of those things went up tremendously. So there were, we're still having, um, you know, supply chain podcasts that are coming <laughs> at members frequently. So just so that they can stay informed of what is going on out there. Uh, in particular product categories, what's going on from an import uh, standpoint, what do the ports look like right now? Mm-hmm. All, all those kinds of things are important to know. Uh, I've done, well, now I'm losing track, Dan, of how many podcasts <laughs> I've done. But it's it's one of those things, I, I don't know about you. I, I think that I'd call it a learning experience because we got into the middle of the pandemic and we were doing a whole lot of different things and moving a whole lot faster, yeah. right? And at one point, you know, you just kind of sit back, scratch your head and go, well, why weren't we doing this before? It it actually is a very convenient way to reach a lot of people. And that technology and that ability, it existed before. Why weren't we doing this before? Why weren't we moving that fast before to kick out communication? Um, Aside from just feeling regret, it, it was one of just then turning that and saying, well, what should we, what else should we be doing right now? It, it, we really need to challenge ourselves a whole lot more because when push came to shove, there were tools that were available and we were using them in a new and different way and we could have been doing it before. What else can we take advantage of right now yeah. for the benefit of our members? Um, I do think communications was a, was a big change. On the retail side, that was the other thing that you ask about. Yeah. Um, the internet wasn't invented in 2020 and online <laughs> Wait shopping a wasn't yeah. invented in 2020. But man, uh, the the uh, Amazon and the model of business that they do, uh, they, they benefited greatly, of course, uh, from the pandemic. But many others did as well. And the, the, the big reveal, I think, that came through that and that we continue to see is when you can join both sides of that equation. When you've got an online experience, but you can marry that up with a retail experience. Retail is not dead, but retail divorced from online is fooling itself. Commerce requires that you have a presence in both. You can't do retail without the e-tail side of that. And like you said, figuratively, you felt like you really needed to make that point. I, I would... I would say that point's been made. Yeah. And instead of scolding or 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 saying hey, you need to you need to get in, it's more about the opportunity. And that opportunity is getting better. It's not going down. It's getting better. Uh, everything that we have indicates that the the buy online pickup in store is going to do nothing but accelerate. And in our space, it's critical. We've got folks who are ideally suited. You know, spread out across the country. Yeah, geographically ideally suited. But frankly, they're also ideally suited from a from a product standpoint. Um, clothing retailers, as soon as somebody offered up pants for sale and you can try them on and send them back if they don't fit, right. you just cut out the retail experience right there. We have defenses in this industry. You know, there is still product and project that requires instruction and explanation uh, a little bit of problem validation. solving, Valid- yeah. validation, another great point. Yeah. All those things really augment the value of the in-store experience coupled with how consumers shop today. And so, I, I mean, I look at that and I go, it's more and more about grabbing that online customer and making sure that you translate that into footsteps in the store. That's that's where there's tremendous growth potential. Well, and, and when you look at all the information, uh, anecdotally and empirically, that in this industry, as you said, home improvement, customers just want to complete that purchase in store for, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I get so amped up talking about is that, gosh dang it, independent retailers are really well suited, better suited than the big boxes to complete that relationship if they can get that technical aspect of being able to offer online shopping and online interaction and online commerce, all of the things that made independent retailers great in the past, the the product knowledge, the service, the convenience, 
they're still well suited to in this e-commerce age. And they can, uh, you know, and I've said it before, I think they can own the e-commerce and not just how do I get something up that people can utilize. They they can really uh, flex their strengths in, with, with e-commerce. And then I, I think that all that is absolutely true. The other, the other part of that, that to me is a, is a, represents a wonderful opportunity is you are not competing with Amazon on their terms. Right. They, that, that's not how they do business. So it's not duplicating what they do. If someone just wants to buy online and have it delivered to their doorstep, we, we, we can offer a vehicle to do that, but that's where they play to right. their strength. And I and I think that that's that's great, but what what our member what our members or what independents are capable of doing exactly what you said, and that is not something that Amazon is well suited to deliver on. They're they are not going to have that kind of touch, that kind of experience, that kind of retail. They just don't have that piece. Right. So we would be why would we ignore that opportunity? Well, uh, we need to make hay with it. And like you said, I think some of it, the resistance at retail before was unfamiliarity with how does this work and so on. And and I, I would equate it to a point you were making earlier is, you know, how many of us did a Zoom meeting before the pandemic? <laughs> I mean, the technology existed. It's existed it for years. Yeah. And now people that I, I myself, I'm far from any degree of tech savvy. I can do Zoom meetings quite literally sometimes in my sleep. Now, Dan, are you are you adhering to the etiquette required when you do a Zoom meeting? Because that's oh, a big oh, education abs- point that came in the pandemic too. A- absolutely, well, good I'm, for you. I'm nothing but Mr. Etiquette <laughs> with those kind of things. But um, man, I look back at some of my early Zoom meetings that are that are recorded. I'm like, ooh, wow, you know, I probably should have put that stuff away or not, or I should have shaved or something that day. But, I uh, meant just unmuting yourself at the right oh, time, but oh, maybe yeah. you did need to shave oh, okay, too. Yeah, you know? but um, but but now. It, it's not that different with the e-com is that, is that, you know, those tools were there before, mm-hmm. but now they've been kind of thrust upon us. And yeah. so because of that, I got to figure this out. Now I think more retailers are more comfortable with that adoption of those kind of technologies. Absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk, let's pivot again back to kind of the other side of the way things have changed. And, and one of the things that we've all kind of noticed and you've, you've just, you know, mentioned it a couple of times is as we're talking about the way retailers in this industry buy has changed, and mm-hmm. one of the biggest changes has always been that since I've been involved in the industry, it's it's the buying markets yeah. have been such a big part of how retailers plan their replenishment buying. They 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 build their business around these kind of buying cycles that are that are that are there around a fall market and a spring market. And you know, now we've been, we're we're coming out of this, but we went for a long period where there weren't. Uh, you know, there were no live markets. Then they began trickling back in. Um, and, and now it's just, it's different. And, and so mm-hmm. I'm just curious, how does this, you know, how is this impacting do it best and the way you guys kind of frame those buying cycles and those buying events? Yeah. For, well, first, just to affirm the, the premise of your question, uh, markets have traditionally and still remain a critical part of how we go to market, yeah. how our members buy from us, how we interact with our members. They are still a, a just a massive part of what we do. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, that's absolutely true. It supports their buying needs. It supports how we address new programs and services, how we show them new vendors, how we show them new product, um, how we address uh, working together, not just us and our members, our vendors as well. There's a critical combination of right. people together uh, to address uh, how how we work, how we solve problems, how we go out and plan for the future, and how we execute on it. So they're critically important. What we've clearly proven over the course of the last two years is that if you limit it down to just the buying activity, the buying function alone. If it's all about transactional activity, uh, we've proven out that we can we can do an exceptional job of that through planning uh, and execution in an online space. Right. And this, to me, is exactly your point about Zoom existed before. Um, we didn't have a need to use it. Well, the need became the only vehicle. Right. Well, that's the same thing that happened to our markets. Uh, the only vehicle we had during the pandemic was to do it through an online space. And we've proven that we can do it reliably. We can do it well. We can do it very efficiently. Yep. And all those things are good things. I think the upshot of that is I think we're going to always have a virtual component 
to every single market going forward. Right. There will be a companion piece that will always be uh, that electronic. It's too efficient. Why wouldn't you use that from a planning standpoint? Why wouldn't you use that to, to clear out and sort through decision making when it's the most effective means? Want to expand of, of the accessibility so. of the market too? Is, Absolutely. Is that not everybody at every point can get to a, a market, or they can't maybe necessarily bring everybody they would like to ha have there. Someone's got to run the store. Someone's got you know. So the ability to say. Okay, we can we can broaden the horizons of who can participate in the market if we can do so electronically. And, and that is such an important point. That's exactly right. Let's embrace the tools for the value that they bring. And and we had that before. Why weren't we doing <laughs> right? Instead of kicking myself, I'll just stop doing that and just say, we'll embrace that side of it right. because you're absolutely right. Even for members who are there, they've got people who can participate in the market back at home, probably. Why not? you know, sort of evangelize that out to a lot more people and reach more people. Of course, we've got every interest in doing so. We'll continue to do that. Um, so, but but what we, we, we still see, I mean, all that is a lead up to saying, Dan, we still see value in pairing that with a live event. Uh, right. So I, in, in my mind, part of the evaluation process about the on, you know, what's the ongoing relevance and importance of markets, we continue to consider a bunch of different issues, but one of those is also timing. Right. You know, for us traditionally, mm -hmm. we had. I, well, actually, I should probably start with the fall. Our fall is our. You know, it, it's not just a fall market; it's a big show. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, it's also our annual shareholders meeting. It's distribution to, of our rebate, and there's a lot of other big things that go on as part of that market. Yeah, that the market meeting. is part of a bigger. It's thing. a bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a bigger picture. Uh, but but as we look at how did we traditionally do it in the spring? Well, for many, 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 many years, we had it in May, uh -huh. uh, which is, you know, it, not ideal, not ideal for our members, for their businesses. They're usually they're 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 very, very busy at that time. So taking them out of uh, their operations in the month of May, yeah. not ideal. Uh, and we had just before the pandemic, we had one market that we did in February, early February. And while it was fine, I still don't look at that as the ideal timing uh, that we would want right. in order for our members to both travel out of their store, but also uh, be, be in the season in the buying frame uh, that they need to be in. Um, so I, I think we're, we're really going to evaluate that. Neither of those times worked out very well. So we're looking at a different time and a different place uh, to address that. But... It all comes back to we still see tremendous meaning in an in-person event. And yeah. I think we're still committed to that. And, and talk to us a little bit about that. You, you know, as I've gotten back to more of the live markets as they've come, I hear that a lot from retailers is one of the common refrains is it's so good to be back face to face. Yeah. Um, it, what do you see as the benefits of that face to face interaction? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot to count. I mean, I sigh because it's like, wow, um, yeah. I could put together a top 20 <laughs> list. I really could of, of all the meaningful ways that it makes a difference. I'd say the, the maybe glow, a bi uh, just a big picture one, uh, the fact that you have the ability to bring in uh, folks who, who, run, who run the business on the independent side of things, the member uh, for us, uh, coming together to, and they're there to make decisions. They're they've cleared out the time and set aside space to be able to make business right. decisions, and and also they've eliminated distractions by sure. virtue of doing it in a live environment. No one's knocking on the office door while you're trying to look at the yeah. There's something to that. You also have a critical combination of folks from the vendor community there, not just representing. You know the vendors themselves, but you've got folks at all different levels that are there at that market for critical business uh, that they are working on, and then you've got our team. And up and up and down, when you have that much from a personnel standpoint coming together, uh, part of it's part of it's getting done the business that you planned on doing. Right. So I, I could we could do an entire podcast around, yeah. you know. Going to a market, what what's what are the critical things that you're coming there with a plan to get done? And part of that's the buying. Part of that might be planning for the future. We've got lots of growth ambitions. A yeah. lot of our members are planning on that. Well, how do I go through store design? How do I go through the branding elements of that? How do I build my promotional plan for the year? How am I? They can solve a lot of things that are on their list to do. Like I said, we could do an old, 
an entire podcast right. on <laughs> how do you plan for and execute well at a market on the plan to get stuff done side. I, I raised the other issue of who's all there in person and wh- why is that so important? It's, it's important for the stuff you plan on. It's also critically important for the organic stuff you maybe didn't plan on, but you can still achieve, get done. The things that you didn't know that you needed to work on, everybody has that. Uh, on the vendor side, on the member side, right. on, on our side, we all have that issue where we've got a problem to solve, we've got an opportunity to address, we've got other things to achieve. And our ability to come together and sort through that in an efficient path is really important. And I don't think it gets done that well on a Zoom call. It, yeah. it just does, right or wrong, it doesn't happen. Right. You and get done the transactional. What, what, what you can get done in the electronic environment is you can hit go on a transaction and yeah. it's very transactionally efficient. All those other things that require interaction, that they require give and take, negotiation, a little bit of work, those things suffer, I think, when you're doing it in some kind of Zoom environment. Well, and, and I think most people would say it, it's, I mean, I think Zoom calls were very effective for, again, transacting business. We mm-hmm. need to get a group together. We need to have a discussion about a project. Mm. Everybody needs to know what they need to execute, then we need to move on. But they weren't the best for what I'd call discovery, you know, and and ideation. And what what you're talking about kind of reminds me of that old management concept that I it's been so long I don't remember where I read about the concept of management by walking around. <laughs> right. And, and you know, and it's kind of like the idea of of going to a market. There's a lot of discovery by walking around. There is. It's it's oh, I didn't know I was gonna see that, or oh, I didn't know I was gonna run into him or her. And and now it's creating those ideas, and 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 that is not present in that kind of transactional. That's environment. exactly right, yeah. and and you're right. I think you picked on the two key ones. There's more, but part of it is product, right? Products and services. The yeah, I didn't come here looking to buy that, but wow, what a great fit to my business. Um, and 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 some of that is a you know a learning experience on product, but the other one that I think I just can't leave this topic without stressing, and that is. Uh, our members learn so much just by interacting with one another. Sure. And I, I just think that's one of the gems of our industry is there's a social component to it. There really is. And there's a valuable social component to it. Just because it's social doesn't mean that it's like... Doesn't have a business value. It yeah. has business value. Exactly. It has business value. And then beyond that, in a, in a market experience, they they connect up together and uh, in both social settings as well as business settings, they learn a lot from one another. There's ga- there's gain sharing on how to do what we do best sure. uh, from someone else who's in their shoes. Uh, it's one thing to hear some, some programs and things from uh, Do It Best, and we think we've got a lot of great things to offer to our members. I, I think the other thing that we try to promote as much of that, as much as that is uh, members learning from members is right. probably even more valuable uh, to us and, well, and what we can learn from members, what other members can learn from our members. And it's certainly something as an association that we place a heavy value on is that concept of association, of of getting together and learning from one another. And and, and yeah. that certainly is is much more difficult in a, in a, a digital environment. So you get the theme. You get, I mean, you get the theme for me as I, I look at this and go, let's go, let's go back to the original question that you asked. How, what did we learn? What's going to change in right. how you do markets? And I, I think we learned a lot about how to do the efficient transactional work. And we should lean into that. And we should mm-hmm. make good use of efficient dedication of resources to getting some buying things kind of accomplished in short order. That's a great thing. Um, all... And, and maybe even the efficiency of that can free up additional time to make sure that we're doing the critically important work that can get done in a live environment. I still see tremendous value in it. Uh, and so, yeah, you're clearly hearing from me. I still see tremendous right. value in it, uh, business value in it and social value and just the ability to free up time and go out and work on the business instead of just in the business. Uh, I, I I think our members value. I've heard more and more and more from yeah. our members that they really value that. Well, and, and again, I mean the 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 uh, comparison we keep using is 
Will I use Zoom meetings less now that everybody's back in the office? Yeah, I'll probably use them less, but they're still a real big value. And I'm not, this isn't a commercial for Zoom, although they could certainly sponsor the podcast if they like. Yeah. But, but we'll continue to use Zoom or Google Meets or, or whatever it is. But, but now that we have the ability to get back, there's other tangible benefits to having a meeting face to face that I don't feel we get in Zoom. So it's not going away. Right. It's a new part of how we kind of do business. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So the part that is changing is what I mentioned before of just evaluating uh, the timing and the location of where we do the spring side. We're not really changing uh, anything fall. fundamentally as we look at the fall. But as we look at the spring, I think there's ways for us to reinvent what we're doing and make it more relevant uh, and, and put it at a better timing that works for our members. That yeah, we ought to pursue. Yeah, excellent. Well, so when we're talking about uh, kind of, we, we've talked a, a lot about how things have have kind of since the first time we talked during the pandemic, how things have kind of changed and and, and really colored uh, our relationships a little bit differently. What do you think outside of kind of that market dynamic? What, how do you think overall with the supply chain challenges and the way they buy and 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 the way you communicate? How what is the impact moving forward going to be on the retailer distributor relationship? Um, so as I as I look at what they're what our members are looking for from us, you know, as we as we chart out the the, the future, I mentioned earlier that even pre pandemic we we had been focused on uh, growth and scale in in different ways, and I think our members are positioned exceedingly well and clamoring for that. So as I look at this year, even with, uh, Dan, for our fiscal year, it started last July 1. And we still had a lot of right. COVID-enforced restrictions as part of that. Mm -hmm. Never had a better new member uh, year than we're having this year. So there's a ton of growth opportunity. And that's not just new folks to the co-op. So there's there's folks who still see the value uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, the co-op yeah, yeah. relationship. We're having a, a tremendous uh, year for welcoming folks into the co-op. But uh, another robust side of that is just the sheer amount of growth that existing members, and that could be, you know, a, a complete store reset or expansion, but also an awful lot of brand new locations. So that that work around growth and scale that has been going on for a few years has only been fueled. I mean, we've had. We've had a we've had a couple of years that, from a bottom line standpoint, there's been stresses associated with sure. it. Sure, but our members have done exceptionally well yeah. over the course of the last two years, and, and and interestingly, that translates to every segment, if you will. You know, it's really a spectrum. You've got people operating yeah. at, at all different sides, but if you want to look at it from a traditional sort of hardware store, hardware only, hard lines, uh, or a home center that has very very broad offerings. Uh, or or a lumberyard, it's not like one segment did well. Yeah, yeah. They all did exceptionally well the last two years. So they're positioned very, very well to execute on a lot of those growth strategies. That's where we're seeing a tremendous amount of, uh, I would say, uh, how we can support our members and where our members want to be supported and the direction that they are going. There's a tremendous amount of growth out there that, that we're working on feverishly. I, I would say the other side of that is, we've already touched on it, e-commerce. The fact that, you know, Dan, we, we stood up a brand new division uh, <laughs> because we see that it requires dedicated resources. It requires tremendous um, amount of investment. We've been doing e-commerce since 1999, but we really look at that and say, um, we see a need to invest in that in ways that capture where our e-commerce is headed. And I don't think we were designed particularly well for that in 1999. How could we be? Right. You don't design in 1999 the e-commerce that's relevant in 2022. <laughs> Let's so, yeah. <laughs> so it deserves a second look. And, and we still see so much value in making sure that we're extracting. You, know, you and I both talked about how independents are ideally suited uh, to execute on that in the best ways possible. We need to put them in a position where that's being translated into footsteps into their store uh, and dollars in their pocket. Yeah. Well, Dan, covered a lot of ground here. I think we need to uh, um, think about having a regular visit so we can talk about all the stuff that's changed. Hopefully, we won't see the kind of pace of change 
moving forward. But right. any final thoughts, anything else you wanted to cover or discuss about what you're seeing, where you're going, uh, where where you see your members going? Yeah, um, I didn't prepare a final thought, but um, I'll give I'll, I'll give an impromptu one for you. <laughs> All right. I've never been more optimistic about what is going on within our industry and our ability to manage through not just change, but challenge. You know, um, I think maybe that's the biggest lesson that I have had over the course of the last two years. I started by talking about relevance and resilience and that demonstration from folks within our industry. Right. It, it, it just fills me with a tremendous amount of op- optimism of what can be accomplished when we're working together in our space, there's no reason at all why we can't be tremendously successful. Uh, there is nothing but opportunity ahead of us. Yeah, there will be challenges associated with it. We probably don't even know what some of those are that are coming right sure. around the corner. But I'm optimistic that we'll be able to manage them very effectively together. And just uh, urge independent retailers to seize this opportunity because this doesn't, I mean, there's a lot of things that have come together that have have put independent retailers in this industry in a very good position to springboard and continue this growth cycle and continue modifying and tailoring their businesses to better suit their markets. So, So that kind of optimism hopefully continues to translate into that sense of urgency by these retailers to go out there and keep driving business forward. Absolutely. Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Always a good time to talk to you. You too. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, we do need to make this more regular. I would love that. That'd be great. And uh, last time we had masks, this time we didn't have to do the mask (laughs) thing, but we are socially distanced. But but, uh, so who knows what it'll be next time. Maybe we'll be in uh, spacesuits or something. I don't know. Oh, Dan, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you. Nearly 200 retailers have asked us to notify them when other retailers decide to sell their businesses. If you're considering options for exiting your business, NHPA's Retail Marketplace can help you find motivated buyers in the industry. Or maybe you are on the other end of the spectrum and you're looking for new opportunities to grow. Sign up for notifications to be among the first to know when retailers decide to sell. Learn more at yournhpa.org marketplace.